I remember I was reclining on a little foam chair that was Carrie. She was about a year and a half old, a little leopard skin type chair, you know, a little safari chair. We're watching television. All of a sudden, a news flash came on the on the tube and it said uh, there'd just been a plane crash in the New Orleans area right there. It used to be Moisan Airport, now it's New Orleans International Airport. And it had crashed into a uh, residential area and everybody on board, I think 219 people were killed and, and a lot of people in their homes just, you know, going about their business, cooking dinner, maybe, you know, you know taking a shower or anything like that. And all of a sudden a plane crashes in their home. And I remember Jan said this, she said, that could happen to us. I mean, we could just be sitting in our home right now and that could happen to us and then we'd be dead and then what would happen? What, where would we go? What would, what would happen? And you know, that's an amazing thing because that's the question that so many people ask continually is what about when we die? What happens when we die? And so in the one-year Bible, this past week, actually the past two weeks, we've been reading in the book of Job. How many of you have been really edified by the book of Job? <laughs> poor thing, huh? Or like we used to say, poor thing. He's just, he's just messed up. But he has some revelation that, that was tremendous for a man back in his times. Some people say Job is one of the oldest Bibles, maybe even the oldest Bible, uh, oldest book in the Bible. And so let me read out of the book of Job chapter 14, verse 14, because this is what he asks. He says, can the dead live again? That was our question. What happens when you die? Can they, live, can they live again? And if so, this would give me hope through all my years of struggle, because he was struggling. And he said, I would eagerly await the release of death. I tell you, that some people struggle so much that they look forward to death as some kind of relief. But Job said this, he said, you know, if you die, will you live again? And then in the 19th verse, 19th chapter, the 26th verse, he says, and after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. And then he says, I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. And then he makes a statement. He says, I'm overwhelmed at the thought because it is an overwhelming thought to think about resurrection. Now, I'm just going to take you through some Bible verses today because it is so essential to every person in this room to not only have knowledge of the resurrection, but to actually have revelation of the resurrection. And there's a difference between that. You can know about something, but it doesn't affect you like when you know something. And so we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. We're just going to read some scripture today and expound on this thing of the resurrection from the dead. Okay? And so in the 50th verse, he says, the apostle Paul, he's writing to the Corinthian church and he's simply saying this, there's a resurrection because there was, there was turmoil there. There was disagreement on whether or not there was any life after death. Some people are saying there's no resurrection. Other people are saying, yes, there is. And the same thing is happening today. So he says, what I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. And so he says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. How many of you want to know a wonderful secret? Amen. Here is the wonderful secret that Paul said, I want to tell you. He said, we will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Yes. You know, in another version, it says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
That used to be the motto of our nursery back in the day, remember? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> Let me reveal this secret to you. He's telling you a secret. God has many, many secrets, and this is one of them. As a matter of fact, it's wonderful to know that the, the wonderful secret that, that comes from God to us is that we will have a body that will live forever. Amen. Now, that's powerful, folks. You say, man, I'm glad I'm going to get another body because this one ain't doing so well right now. <laughs> not looking so good, not working so well, and I take a new body if you give it to me. And so it's true. It, it, it is a great secret. And then in, in chapter 15, verse 3, he goes on, he says, I passed on to you what was most important. What is most important? What was passed on to me? Now, he's getting ready to tell you what the most important thing you can ever know in all of existence. This is the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. And he was buried. Is that not what it says? And he was buried. And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures say. Exactly like the scriptures said. This is the most important thing. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul could have said a lot of things. He could, have, he could have gave his testimony. He could have said how he was caught up into heaven. He could have said a lot of things. He said, but the most important thing, I want you to know, Corinthians, and I want you to know, Northwoodians, the most important thing for you to know is that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. We've been through the book of Romans, and in the 10th chapter, it says the same thing. If you will believe in your heart that Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and you will confess with your mouth that he's Lord, you will be saved. Hey, that's a good word, saved. Saved is a good word. It's not an old Bible word that we don't use anymore. We need to be saved. And then in the 32nd verse, he says, and what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus? Very simple. He went to Ephesus. They didn't like what he did and said. They took him outside the city gate. They stoned him. Some theologians say they stoned him to death. But he came back to life. I guarantee you this, they whooped up on him real bad. But yet he got back up and went right back into the city. So he's saying, what, what good was it that I fought these wild beasts? Some people are like wild beasts. Matter of fact, sometimes you'd rather fight a wild animal than some people. He said, what good is that if there's no resurrection from the dead? And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. Isn't that how a lot of people think? I mean, if there is no resurrection, folks, listen, if there's no resurrection from the dead, if there's no afterlife, if there's nothing else coming, if there's no judgment after death, then let's party. I mean, come on, let's get most of Let's just get as much as we can, as quick as we can, and keep it as long as we can. But watch what he goes on to say. But don't be fooled by those who say such things. It's the people who don't believe in the resurrection. Don't be fooled by they say such things because bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For it is to your shame, I say, that some of you don't know God at all. Now that creates tension in the room, doesn't it? That the Holy Spirit would impress upon the Apostle Paul to speak to the Corinthian church 
and say, it's to your shame because there seems to be people in the church who don't know God at all. What if I said, I believe there's people in this room, in the church. Now, I'm not talking about people who haven't become believers yet. I'm talking about people who walk in the church, talk in the church, even serve in the church, who really don't know God at all. What he's really saying is that if you know God, you're going to understand the, the resurrection from the dead. You're going to live like there is such a thing. Isn't that powerful? I think it's so powerful. When I think about the resurrection, I don't know about you, but, but I have trouble comprehending it. I want you to just think with me for a moment. Let's just meditate for a moment. Think about the resurrection from the dead. What kind of thoughts that come into your mind? I bet you some of you are thinking about like, you know, zombies kind of coming up out of the grave, like, you know, like walking dead. I know that's what you're thinking. Others of you are a little bit more mild. You're thinking about like a Casper the ghost kind of <laughs> swirling up out of a fog covered graveyard at midnight. But I, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what it's going to be like for God to speak, to shout with a trumpet from heaven and dead people come out of the grave. But it's already happened once when Jesus was crucified and died on the cross, the Bible says there was a great earthquake and the graves were opened. And then when he was resurrected from the dead, there were people who were resurrected with him and they walked into the city of Jerusalem. Can you imagine you having lunch and Paul <laughs> just comes up in the house? Hey, what's up? I'll take some of that tuna salad. You know, you know what I'm saying? What if it was, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't have an idea. It, I'm like Job. It overwhelms me when I try to think of the resurrection from the dead. What it's going to feel like. What it's going to look like. How it's going to happen. But I know one thing. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the resurrection from the dead. I don't know about you. If it scares you, today's a good day to give your heart to Jesus because there's got to be more to creation than this pitiful life here. Come on. If you've been reading Ecclesiastes with the Solomons, he's laying it on heavy, huh? It's like chasing the wind. Everything is meaningless. Everything. You work hard, you make a lot of money, and somebody else spends your money. It's useless. It's meaningless. absolutely meaningless chapter 15 verse 23 it's so wonderful because there is an order to the resurrection the thing I love about the Lord my personality is this that that everything is in order I love things in order I like to close every door I had to close the door just a while ago on the way up to the platform it's like what's that door doing open Close the door. And so there's an order to this resurrection. Verse 23 says, but there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. There's an order. Jesus is the first. We just sang about it. Jesus overcame death in the grave. For every fear, there's an empty grave. Jesus said, 
Let me show you how it's done. You know how you are with your children. If you teach your children things, you say, here's just yesterday. Ariana was at our grand, one of our granddaughters was at the house and she, she was coloring and she came and I mean, it was okay, but I mean, man, like, is there even a line on this page, Ariana? <laughs> so I took her in the, in, in, the, in the office and got to the desk. We sat there together. I said, now let me show you how to color in the lines, especially when they're small. I said, the smaller the space, the slower you go. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I was culling Elsa's hair. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Just back and forth. Back. And then I said, now you do just like that. And then when you finish, bring it to me and Mama in the front room. And so sure enough, here she comes. She's so proud. And she did so much better because I showed her how to do it. And so Jesus comes to this earth and he begins to live the proper life. Come on now. And then he begins to die the proper death. Come on now. And then three days later, he rose from the dead and he stands up and says, this is how it's done. This is how it's done. You must be born again. You must live righteous before God. You will die. And one day I will shout. You will hear my voice and you will come out of the grave. And all the people who believed that said amen. amen. But all the people who didn't believe that said, hurry up, I gotta go eat lunch. <laughs> there is this order. And if Jesus did it and promised it to us, then hello, we can do it too. So in the 42nd verse, let's just go there. Because there's also a process of resurrection. And here it is. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. I mean, you can't get any more simple than this. But, but, but they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are they are buried as a natural human body, but they will be raised as a spiritual body. For just as there are natural bodies, there are spiritual bodies. Come on now. They're spiritual bodies. Look, everything is not like it looks now. I know you love your body because you really worked on it hard this morning. I did too. And the older you get, the harder you got to work unless you just want to be just ugly. I mean, look, when you get old, you get ugly. There's no, look, all you are getting old and ugly, just say amen. amen. <laughs> I love honesty of the church. <laughs> How many of you ugly? I amen. <laughs> it's buried in weakness, folks. Now, now I'm gonna deviate a little bit from the life of faith and I understand faith, and one day we'll talk about this, but for today, we are weak. Our bodies are weak. Our bodies are frail. We have sickness. We have disease. We fight all kinds of disorders. Our hair falls out. Our scalp itches. There's all sorts of things that are happening to our bodies. Our natural body sometimes is a mess. It won't listen to our spirit. It won't get up. It can't go to bed. It won't sleep. Then it can't sleep. And all these things are happening, but there is a day coming where we will bury these bodies in weakness and they will be raised to life. Yeah. 
And it's going to be a spiritual body. Listen, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, they took him off, well, they took him off a cross, right? Just Jesus, who they had known. This is Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, you know, and, and we know he, he, he's a carpenter and we know all this. And then they buried him in a grave. And three days later, he was resurrected from the dead. And he walks out of the tomb and he walks into the garden and there is Mary Magdalene, one of his key leaders in his church, basically, who had followed him, who knew him, who loved him dearly. And when she comes up to Jesus, she thinks he's the gardener. And she asks who she thought was the gardener, where have they laid the body of my Lord? A little while later, there's two men walking to a town called Emmaus, and there is Jesus. He's walking alongside of them, and they are talking to Jesus about the crucifixion that took place in Jerusalem, and they don't know that it's Jesus. So evidently, he looked different. Can you say amen? Didn't he look different? I mean, there had to be something different about him. And that's how it's going to be with us. You know what I mean? I mean, look, folks. There's a lot of tragedies taking place. People are dying before we think they should. There's sickness of little children that we just don't understand it. Why? You know, the, the, sometimes the people are hurt. There's all types of situations. And that's why we have to have our eye on the resurrection. We have to have our eye on the resurrection. I thank God that we don't have to do it alone in the second, second book of Thessalonians and in the, uh, the fifth verse of the fifth chapter we get a little glimpse of hope here because the Bible says God himself will be swallowed up. God himself has prepared for us this, this resurrection. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. When, we, when we're saved, when we dedicate our heart to Jesus, when he starts to transform our heart, we receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is a guarantee, is a down payment on eternity for us. You need to understand the power of the Holy Spirit is it's multifaceted. And one of the things that he does is that he tells you in your heart, you are all right. I've got you sealed. Amen. It's like when you buy a home, you put down earnest money. That's exactly what that word means. Earnest money. You're paying down. You're saying, I love that home. I want that home. That's going to be our home. Here you go. And here's $5,000 to prove that I want it. It's a down payment. It's earnest money. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. That's who he is in your life. He's your guarantee of eternal life. And there's this process that we need to go through. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us, to empower us, that we do not get off of the designated plan of God, and that is to live a righteous life in the power of God's grace and then to die one day in our grave. And I know people think they're not going to die. It's hilarious how people think they're never going to get old and die. Well, bless God, pastor, I'm going to be like so-and-so, and I'm going to be like this, and I'm going to be strong when I'm 90. And then when they get about 67 years old, it's like, I don't know too much. <laughs> I don't know, man. And then when they get 75, it's like, I'm sure I don't know now. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they're, they're really up in age, and they say, man, it's not like, if I, I need to go back and take that back because it ain't working out the way I thought it was. Because if Isaac... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac, if Isaac, the man of God in the Old Testament, God used tremendously, was so old he couldn't see, and his son deceived him. And then King David, who was a warring king, who, who conquered nations, 
When he got old, he was so old. He was so old and cold. He couldn't even get warm. Come on, resurrection. Come on, resurrection. Then there also is a completion of this resurrection, folks. There, there's a completion that takes place. Look with me in, in 2 Corinthians 4.16 right there. Look at this. That is why we never give up. And he's, everything's about the resurrection here. We never give up, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Boy, I'll tell you what, this is so much bigger than my new car or can we get that acreage and I hope to get promoted on my job. This is so much bigger. He said, the troubles that you're having now, they're so small compared to the resurrection. Now, let's, let's compare it, okay? Let's take some troubles. Uh, somebody throw me out of trouble. I, I, I don't need you to throw me out of trouble. I'll just tell you. We ain't got enough money. The kids are not doing so well. The car broke Saturday. My leg hurts. My wife left me. My mama hates me. I got fired when I shouldn't have got fired. They lied and caught me in politics. North Korea sets off a hydrogen bomb. Russia says America is cheating. The Middle East is in turmoil. Local politics, a lot of them are corrupt. This businessman pulled it over on, I lost it. All these troubles, he said, all of these are small when compared to the resurrection. There's something a whole lot bigger coming, folks. That's called the hope of the resurrection. The Bible teaches us there is a hope in the resurrection. It outweighs all that. And that's why even Paul in Colossians 3, I, I don't have it on the screen for you, but he says, he says, because of everything, we need to set our affections or set our mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Somehow or another, we've got to learn to where we have to work in the earth, we have to live on this earth, but somehow or another, we have to have an eye peeled towards the sky. We've got to have an eye to the sky. We've got to have an eye to, to the things that are going to happen after this life because that will encourage you. So many people have what I call iron shoes. Years ago, I preached a message, iron shoes, and it's like shoes that weigh us down, the things that weigh us down so much that we never can get a heavenly vision. We're just constantly, we're like a diver at the bottom of the ocean with iron shoes. I think it's time that we just kind of step out of those a little bit and get a little bit heavenly vision, Amen. a little bit of what God's got, what's coming up. Come on now, isn't that right? I don't have this on your, on your notes, but let me read it to you, starting in the fifth chapter. For we know that when this earthly tent, this body we live in, is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. An eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothes. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will, not, we will not be spirits without bodies. We're not going to be floating around all over. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not 
that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Death is an enemy. Death robs, kills, steals, and destroys. The Bible says that Jesus is triumphing, but there's one more enemy that needs to be put under his feet, and that is the enemy of death. There's coming a day where people are not going to die anymore, I believe. I'm not sure. I don't know everything about everything. But I know one thing, that once we are resurrected from the dead, we will never die again. This thing of eternity. It's been set in the hearts of people. God put it there. We are eternal beings. I haven't touched at all today on the resurrection of the unjust. But there is two resurrections, the resurrection of the just, the justified people, those who belong to Christ, and then there is also the resurrection of the unjust dead. And each one has a totally different destination. It's so wonderful to be a Christian that God would love us so much that he would actually go after you. <clears throat> you don't go after God. God initiates everything. Jesus is the first. He, you're here today because Jesus encountered you some kind of way. He has initiated something in your life. People just don't come to church like going to a movie. Something draws us. And that's the initiation of Christ. So then the Apostle Paul says something. Look in the, in the 58th verse. He says, that, he says, so, I mean, he said a whole lot. And then he says, so, or because of all this, dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable, always enthusiastically for the Lord. You work for him enthusiastically, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. The Apostle Paul gives us Three takeaways, if you would, of people who are living, looking forward to the resurrection. He says, first of all, I want you to be strong. Strong, strong. How many of you want to be strong? Now, know this. Some of us are not strong in the physical man. I'm not. I'm a very weak little man. I never have stood in the pulpit and said, look at me, how strong I am. I'll break this. I'll crush that. No, I don't break or crush anything. <laughs> but be strong. Be, be strong. Realize that you have to be strong in faith, which means you will believe what God said. And you will believe that what he said, he will do it. He will accomplish it. I don't know how he will do it or when he will do it or with who he will do it. But God, you promised me so I will be strong in faith believing you. Not only that, you'll be strong in faith by not leaning on your own understanding, but, but acknowledging God in all of your ways. Folks, listen to me. We live a life who are looking forward to the resurrection, one that anticipates how great God is, and we lean upon him and his wisdom much more than our own understanding. Now, we can figure out a lot of things on our own, but sometimes we come up against a wall, and there's no way to figure it out. 
There's no intellect to figure out. You cannot get a plan to figure it out. You cannot lean on what you experienced in the path. This is something brand new, and you must say, God, I acknowledge you in everything that I'm doing now, and I believe that you are going to direct my path. That's a life of faith. I can't see the path. I don't know how you're going to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. How can this possibly be? But you said you would do it, and you will do it. Strong in faith and strong in what you believe and why you believe it. Pastor Jordan shared with us last week that very thought. You must know what you believe and you must know why you believe it. It's no longer good enough for there to be Christian drifters just drifting alone because when the enemy comes to knock on your door to face you off on what you believe, you better know what you believe and why you believe it and you should be able to apply what you believe. Come on now. And then he says, you know what? I want you to be immovable. I want you to be immovable. That's a, that's a big word. I shall not be moved. Immovable, meaning that I'm fully persuaded. The apostle Paul said this. He said, I am fully persuaded that nothing shall separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I am fully persuaded that neither death nor life, nor demons, nor powers, nor principalities above or beneath, nothing shall move me off of the fact that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm found in the love of God through the power of Jesus Christ. You have to be fully persuaded. You have to fight your doubt. Every one of you doubt. Every one of you have doubted. Every one of you. At one time in your life, you've doubted God. You've doubted the word. You've doubted if this can happen. I'm not sure if this can happen. But what you have to start doing, like the old saying says, you have to start doubting your doubt. You have to do that. If, you, if, you know, if you're going to doubt something, why don't you doubt your doubt? I mean, just go and say, I doubt that. Well, I, I doubt that. You know, if the enemy in your mind says, well, I doubt it, that's going to say, well, I doubt that you're doubting. <laughs> Look, if you can't win, just confuse the enemy and go on. <laughs> you've got to doubt the doubts. Come on now. And you've got to burn every bridge behind you. The problem with a lot of people in the church is that they don't burn the bridges behind them. That's why so many people go back. But if you burn every bridge, man, if you'll just cut it loose and say, I can't go back that way. There's no back door. If you're planning on, well, I'm going to try Christ, but if it don't work, I'm going to go back. Just go back now. Start all over again. Do it right the next time. Burn every bridge and experience. You're talking about being immovable. You must experience the presence of the Holy Spirit every day. There should be that presence of God in you every day, whether you're driving a truck, working in an office, pushing a pen, pressing buttons on a computer, whatever, climbing a tree, cutting with a chainsaw. It doesn't matter. The presence of the Holy Spirit is in your spirit. So all day long, there's a little song churning around up in there. Come on now. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've got the experience. If you want to be immovable, you need to have that. And then you just need to fully trust in Jesus and what he's done. I'm telling you right now, I can't save the world. I can't do it. I'm not the savior of the world, and neither are you. Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the king of every king. I'm not even a king. I shall be a king's kid one day in eternity. How that's going to look? Maybe we'll get a little crown. I'm not sure, but it's going to be great. And then the third thing he says is you want to be enthusiastic. 
Man, you gotta, look, you're going to be strong, immovable, and in that, enthusiastic. In other words, you're going to have, you're going to have confidence. Come on now. You know, when, when you're fully strong and immovable in what you believe and what you know and where you are and who you belong to, you have this enthusiasm about you. I think Jesus wants us to live an enthusiastic life. I mean, I think he wants you to love enthusiastically. Love big. Forgive big. Live big. Live strong. Live big. Serve like you never served before. Never intending to get anything in return. The best kind of service you ever do is this. I'm going to serve. I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need that, boys. I am just serving, Lord. This is for you, and people get the benefits. And I'm going to serve, and I'm going to be faithful in my serve. I'm going to serve here, serve there, serve everywhere. And I'm going to do it enthusiastically. And some people say, well, that's not my personality. Well, then why don't you just work at changing your personality? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I was raised a certain way in a certain environment that created certain patterns in my life, attitudes. And I told Jan the other day, and I told my son the other day, I said, you know, because we talk a lot about how to break things and how to live and how to have victory. And I said this, I said that thing, and I named the person who was influential in bringing that in my life. I said, I've got him tied up in a corner with ropes and chains. And I make sure every now and then I go check that he's still tied up. Because I don't want to be what I was. I don't want to be that. I want to live enthusiastically. I want to live with full of life. I want to live overflowing. I want to give like I never gave before. I don't want to be guilty anymore when the pastor talks about giving. I'm going to be a giver enthusiastically. And you know what else? I'm going to live life to its fullest. Always keeping one eye peeled to the sky. You know, this, this is where you live. Lord, I want to thank you that we got a great life. This is wonderful, but this is nothing compared to what you have prepared for us who believe. And so as good as this is or as bad as this is, it's almost irrelevant. It's what's coming. When you shout and my eyes open in that grave and I'm changed instantly into a glorified body to live forever. I don't care where I am in line. I might be 1,268,563 in line from the throne. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. We're in the resurrection from the dead. One more verse. How's that? Then we're finished. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, a tremendous verse that I've always hung to, my favorite verse in all of the Bible, really, because it's the life of what we live. The Bible says very plainly this. This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. A brand new life because you're a brand new person. And this is the only way to get into the resurrection is to become this new person. Because the old person cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's bow our heads together if you don't mind. We've been talking about the resurrection. And some of you in here are prepared and ready. Your heart has been changed and you are ready to say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. I'm ready 
to face eternity. But others of you are like the Apostle Paul said early in this message, you don't know God at all. I don't want you to be embarrassed to feel like you're some kind of second-class citizen because you don't know God. I didn't know God for many, many years. As a matter of fact, once you admit that you don't know him, then you're on the road to knowing him. As you sit in this room right now, and as you contemplate this thing of eternity, you're getting ready to make the most important decision of your entire life, your entire existence. And that is to receive Jesus. So what I'm going to do in a moment, I'm going to pray, but first I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment if you're ready to serve Jesus. If you're ready to accept him as your king, your Lord, your forgiver, to start a brand new life, to become this new person. We're going to pray and God's going to answer this prayer. So if that's you, if you say, Pastor Van, I am ready to give my heart fully to Jesus. I want to be a new person and I want my sins forgiven. I want you to shoot your hand up right now. If you're in this room, just shoot it straight up. Yeah, there, 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 all over this room. Come on, just, if you had just shoot it up. Just, it's a place of faith. You're saying, Lord Jesus, I don't understand everything. Look, you don't know everything. I didn't know everything when I gave my heart to Jesus. But I can tell you this right now, that it was worth it. It was worth it. It is a better life. Anybody else, if you didn't raise your hand, shoot it up just real quick. Go ahead. There you go. That's right. Don't you worry about what, there you go. Don't you worry about what people think. It doesn't matter. It only matters what God thinks right now. You who raised your hand, it was all over this room. God's getting ready to answer your prayer. I'm going to pray. You're going to agree with me. And just in your heart, you're just opening your heart up. You can almost close your mind right now because it's not going to do any good. It's your heart. God wants your insight, your innermost being. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus like you told us to do. And Father, I pray that you'd forgive my sins. My old man, my old life, I turned my back on it. I received the forgiveness of Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins, that you were buried, and that you rose on the third day. And I thank you for giving me hope of the resurrection, a brand new life, new direction, a brand new person I am today. I repent of all of my sins. And Lord, I turn to you for strength to overcome in my daily life by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for doing this for me, Lord Jesus. I love you today. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord right now for those who gave their hearts to Jesus. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. 
If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.